expose it or, you know, front run their announcement. But once I floated the idea out, um, I think I've learned that it's not what they're working on in the moment um, for their for their release. But um, at the same time, they expressed interest in the idea and wanted to hear, you know, some thoughts about it. Um, so I can get into, you know, what I'm thinking sort of technically about it and, and how it could, you know, how I envision that it could work. Um, and this will be within my presentation to them this week. I'm scanning the base space listeners now. Just um, they, they had asked me what time it was, and I just wanted to say if Dana Mark is you know, listening or, or anybody from the team that I mentioned is listening, I invite you to interject and stop me and correct me or question me as I as I go through this. But um, what I know about um, what I know about Baker is that they aren't great with the one-sided staking right now. And I think for that reason, they've been one of the best possible avenues for plugging Chainlink somewhere for passive profits. And we know that, that anybody that's trying to get into that pool is completely, you know, overflowed in, with BNT and you cannot get Link into that pool. And if any space opens up, you know, you see a tweet from 16 minutes ago that says 80,000, you know, space for 80,000 Chainlink. And then you see a tweet from... Eight minutes ago, that it says it's full, it's gone. Um, it's just not possible. And, and recently, I've, I've even tried getting some link in, into there. So, um, so uh, let me see here uh, the progression. Uh, how this can make sense <laughs> the best. Um, another thing that Big Baker's dealing with is the BBNT collateral that you get when you stake BNT, and that's um, I think designed to, to have pressures to push it towards peg, as in. You know, one BNT equals one BBNT, and right now the price of BBNT is dropping, and um, it's more like 0.3 or 0.4 BBNT for per BNT, um, just due to the nature of the bull market and people thinking that they're you know able to swap off of that BBNT, go get some quick gains elsewhere, swap back for the BBNT, um, you know, with some gains. So. Caring what the price of BBNT is as they as they swap off of it because they were you know essentially receiving that just for staking and um, there's some down pressure on the price right now and if Baker's going to have Chainlink staking um, I theorize they could use the BBNT token as the allowance token now when I say allowance token um, it could be that if you are a holder of BBNT that would Chainlink that you could stake within their um, Chainlink staking model. So um, right now, where this is happening is with Linkpool. Linkpool is uh, you know massive overarching Chainlink node operator, and they will be facilitating Chainlink staking um, by their notes as well, I believe. And um, they have their own token LPL, and by LPL you can stake LPL on Linkpool. You receive Link LPLA, which becomes the allowance token to stake Chainlink.
sort of collecting a massive, massive supply of Link tokens. Um, right now, on Link Pool, they have a hundred million Link, you know, one hundred million LPL tokens. Um, I've heard from, you know, their team, uh, an initial estimate that one LPL token eventually the seed stake zero point four Link. So you know, like 10, 10 to four ratio or so. So that leaves that creates space for staking forty million link tokens um, through link pool initially, which is four percent of the link supply. So as I think through, if Baker would you know have a similar model, um, I don't necessarily envision it as a, as a competition sort of thing. I, you know, there's there'd be plenty of link out there still to be potentially staked, and, and lots of nodes to potentially use it. So. Um, that is the the premise, in, at least in terms of the, the functionality, and, and how a, you know a person like myself who has VBNT in their wallet and has has Chainlink, right? I'm, I'm ready to go if Maker has a system like this. Um, I'm, I'm ready to stake, um, and VBNT supply is like 90 million. Um, you know, so there could be some sort of allowance ratio as well with VBNT. Um, and then the benefit for Banker is that, you know, well, now there's a new functionality, a new demand for BBNT. And people that have BNT staked will have extra motivation to get their BBNT back. Um, even outside, outside um, you know, investors that are not currently involved with Banker um, might feel compelled to get involved for the staking allowance. So it can create a positive upwards pressure for the BBNT token, push that closer to PEG. Which would vortex, you know, people into the um, BNT pools, you know, locking up the, the total value in Banker. Um, it just had a lot of, you know, positive uh, ramifications for the for the whole ecosystem on Banker, but then also provided this unique benefit for early movers and early participants as, as LPs on, on Banker. Um, and it just could be like a, you know, a, a symbiotic relationship for, for all all involved. Um, uh, how would that? So, just a quick question. No, uh, maybe it's a dumb question, but so if it was pegged to VBNT and users that are staking their BNT need VBNT one to one to get their initial stake back, how would you go about getting your initial stake back and unstaking with the VBNT token to the new node that you're proposing? Yeah, um, you know, so functionally, as long as you had link staked within the pool, that means that you're holding BBNT, which likely means that it's, you know, you got the BBNT from the BNT staked in Banker, so um, the first move to un sort of unravel that would need to be, you know, unwind your link tokens or remove your link tokens from that pool, you know, then you free your BBNT, then you could free up your, your BNT tokens. So it would effectively, you know, hold BNT in banker and, and be another mechanism for doing so maybe once these reward windows start to fall off um and you know for a user it's like maybe not ideal then that my, my bnt isn't isn't directly accessible you know but in the meantime you're, you're earning sort of the double rewards of the, the bnt um rewards and apr and the, the chain link um apr that would be associated with that pool all right thank you yeah. I appreciate it. And I'm sure I 
can ramble on this. So I, I appreciate that, and um, you know, I invite I invite others to jump in in the same way. But um, so this is this is just simply Bancor that you were explaining. Did I did I miss the part um, for your concept of relating to uh, construction? Yeah, no, definitely. This is um, a, a separate topic for now. This is um, the banker chain link staking concept. Okay. Do you and, have, um, well, if you have experience with it, you've talked to the team. Do you or anyone in the room, have you guys found a way to finesse around the gas case? Because I was able to find, or I mean, I got the notification. Uh, Chase put out a really good uh, Twitter to follow. I'm sure you can share it at the top in a second um, for like the notifications. I actually found you can even set up your own notification system too for when uh when there's room in the pool and so i was able to get in there when there was a couple thousand and i was just trying to put in like a couple hundred and the gas fee didn't change from like if i was putting one or a hundred in um it was still like 450 dollars and so like i was trying to find a way of bypassing those gas fees or like a, a timing i'm guessing i'm guessing because like i've seen that before at like six dollars like maybe a week week and a half ago so probably like during these crazy fee times like we've seen um but again like the the gas fees are, are so high that it almost disincentivizes me to uh to stake any of my my link yeah def- i mean i i can speak on that a little bit unless someone else wants to take that one um so right now i at banker and DeFi in general sees this as a massive problem and it is blocking out uh, many users. Um, it's true that the transaction costs what the transaction costs, regardless of if it's one token or a million tokens. Um, and it is awfully inconvenient for timing. The the link availability for these pools is on a 10 minute basis, and it could be you know in a window of time where, where gas fees are astronomical. Um, I keep my eye on ethgasstation.info. There's different sites where you can just get a sense of um, if the gas is high or low. But you'll never, you know, if you're waiting for that low gas and space, it'll just, it just feels like that will never happen. Um, but today, Arbitrum announced that their mainnet is launching on the 28th of this month. Now, I don't know that, um, you know, Arbitrum is going to be directly um, a solution for, for Banker, and, and they, they haven't spoke, spoken on that. But these Layer 2 solutions are coming, and, and the DeFi apps are going to be able to integrate them, and that will be an avenue to drastically lower gas and gas costs across the board. So we're all, you know, it's heading for, for those sort of solutions that should be, feels like coming, coming soon. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for the gas fees to drop because trying to pay $500 to swap a coin, yeah, that ain't, that ain't yet cheap. Yeah, like someone showed me Kishu. Where the fuck that is today, and just playing around showing them how to use Uniswap. I went to go pick it up, and I was just gonna move over like extra Ethereum. I had in my MetaMask, and it was like six hundred dollars for a transaction. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is this is insane. Like, I don't understand any how any of these these TikTokers are are running around picking up these coins or swapping into these coins. Like, just like the aping to the extreme, I guess. Because I mean, if people are picking up a thousand dollars. I promise you they're not. It's just an overall, it's just an overall problem, and the thing is with those TikTokers and coins is they're like most of the developers 
skill to develop those tokens, and so they're most likely just the front runners of a pump and dump scheme. Uh, yeah, for sure. And so they're yeah, causing congestion, which is just an overall problem everywhere. So yeah. if I had to guess, though, I pretty much can guarantee you they're not trading on days where gas is six hundred dollars. I think they all got in months ago on cheap gas and yeah. just stopped trading. Uh, That's e- e- even trading whales, uh, Uniswap whales aren't trading right now just due to gas. These kids that have no money definitely aren't pushing through the gas right now. I think they're just. I also uh, they're just. Sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, they're either somehow figuring out Polygon or they're just buying off uh, Robin Hood. Something of that sort. What I was going to say really quickly about the Layer 2 is, I don't know if you guys recall, but um, Mark and Nate were on speaking about Bancor. I asked them about the L2 solutions, and they said that uh, they were waiting on Arbitrum. And on Arbitrum, I think it's Arbitrum.io, it has Bancor on there that they had run a test for it, and it's supposed to reduce the gas fees by 50 times. So figure 50 times, not like... 50%, like 50 times less than what gas fees are right now. But they also said that while they were waiting for Arbitrum, they were not going to uh, look past, I guess, or ignore the progress that Polygon and other Layer 2 solutions have had. Um, so they've been, you know, they insinuated, in my opinion, that they were going to be looking into Polygon as well. Yeah, so 100%. obviously in motion, I asked them straight up about it. So once that happens, gas is not going to be anything near what it is right now. Anyone using DEXs right now is either running on Woo, Polygon, or One Inch. No one's using straight up V3 unless you have hundreds of millions of dollars. The gas is just too stupid. Yeah, sorry, I just want to kind of bring back to the proposal real quick, Jimmy. Have you... Uh, done any kind of like future uh, profit analysis to kind of figure out what it would look like for an average person uh, providing liquidity and uh, the protocol, Bancor's protocol, and getting those rewards, and then turning around and using that BBNT as your allowance to also sync link? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and what's good is that you know the the BNT rewards are there to see. Um, I think that we know that many of the rewards on, on the different pools are, you know, lim- limited or first limited time only, um, and that they have to be renewed. Um, in terms of the link staking, that's a very, you know, that's a little bit up in the air. That I don't know that I don't know who um, has APR type numbers pinned down. But the way I can speak, I can speak on how it would work, which might, you know, give you some clarity. Um, the way that it would work is. You know, banker would establish a network of nodes that they deemed trustworthy enough that had you know enough of a reputation and enough of a um, catalog of, of providing data reliably, so that they weren't going to be you know partnering with nodes that get hacked constantly for for you know false data and whatnot. Um, but also, bankers should be protected from those potential fees. So what would happen is banker would determine a number of chain links that they want to have in their pool based off how many nodes that they have, have a relationship with. Um, both numbers could expand as time went on. And then there would be this pool of link tokens that would be there for nodes to dip into as needed. 
on a day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour basis, you know, a node could pull out two thousand link with a prearranged agreement that they will be returning two thousand and ten link or two thousand and twenty link or and this is me spitballing numbers, but just uh, simply a, an APR for the node operator, and and they're essentially you know borrowing out this link to allow them deeper insurance to now feed larger value contracts. There could be a node that comes across a contract in order to provide the data to it. They need to have this, you know, 2000 link and, you know, in their pool, they have a thousand or something. So they come over, they accept whatever fee to borrow the chain link temporarily. They earn more than that um, fee on the job. Then they return the link that they're done using because um, if they held it longer, you know, the, the APR would climb on them or the fee for, for loaning it would climb on them. So they're returning it back into this pool. And the effect of that is that the pool can almost be 100% utilized at all times, which is really powerful because rather than staking with an individual node operator, you know, say, say there's going to be all sorts of ways that, that open up to stake link when, when this thing goes live, right? And there's going to be teams that you never heard of with nodes that you never heard of saying, send us your link and, and you know, we'll, we'll give you an APR. But um, if, if you have like a sort of a reliable, and, and link pool is like sort of the, the known entity at this moment, but if you have one of these reliable entities and you have your link in one of their pools that's, you know, only utilized by one of their trusted nodes that you could, you could see yourself, um, rather than have your link sitting in a node and they have 4,000 link, and it's rare that they ever scratch your tokens because their jobs are typically smaller, right? Um, this ability to tap into that pool as needed could have the utilization rate of that those link tokens, you know, upwards of 80, 90% at any given moment. So it's almost as if all of the link is actively earning at all times, which feels like it can have a very powerful compounding effect over the course of a year. Um, if we're talking a couple percentages per job or what have you, and that's where I don't know the specifics. Yeah, I think you touched on something that I think we should kind of like discuss a little more because I think it's like such an interesting idea, but you basically are, through this proposal, you're creating a link allowance or a link staking node allowance token that's agnostic across node operators essentially right because on the back end Bancorp can have these relationships with high reputation uh node operators so it's like there's just so many benefits i feel like that could you kind of like build on that a little bit hey let, yeah. let me let me interject real quick i got right. i got link river online and i'm gonna see if we can try Try doing it this way until we get him, you know, full stop on through the Twitter. So um, go ahead and see if you can hear hear him from from this. Uh, hello, everybody. It's Roger, co-founder of Link River. Unfortunately, I'm not able to join the join the debate um, with my Twitter account. I'm just updating my iOS. Um, yeah, might have tried this before, but it's my first uh, base day. So yeah, thanks for having me here. And uh, maybe just some, some short feedback. Can you hear me guys? Or yeah, it works 100. percent it yeah, works 100% super clear. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. So just some short background info. Um, yeah, as I said, we're Willing River. Um, I would call us an aspiring node operator team. And 
um, there we're just figuring out everything, everything about uh, staking models, and just uh, we're just in contact with Luke. And um, so regarding the, um, the kinds of staking models, future staking models, because right now apparently it's not like that. But um, we saw this great, um, great article from Nico introducing the staking B2 app, and I think that it's quite interesting um, talking about a bank of hosted staking model because. It's always a great idea if big exchanges start start up their own node business, right? Because they can yeah, um, get a new income stream. They can use the existing infrastructure to monetize the data. Um, at the same time, I think, as Luke said, it's um, it's a great way to optimize um, the use of link tokens. Because what Link also introduced is just a set of smart contracts, which is responsible for yeah optimizing. Where the link tokens would be staked um, in order to never never waste some link tokens because you you won't always need um, a fixed amount of tokens on a on a node it will it will vary from time to time right and then, but I think especially um, regarding the huge demand of new node operators seeing how yeah smart contracts involve hybrid smart contracts and um, future dons will will be created I think it's it's quite important to have. Um, different options and different ways of um, giving access to staking and yeah I believe that it's, it's a great idea to have a large liquidity pool and um, giving access to stakers by yeah, using an access token um, like the LPLA and then you could say okay um, if there's a small node operator joining the ecosystem um, it doesn't make sense for him to, to um, create an own token make a token sale um, instead of this, you could rather focus on, on its infrastructure um, and go to Linkpool and say, hey, um, we, we, we want to stay with Linkpool, we want to use your existing infrastructure, how can we um, set this up? At the same time, I think that um, a large, large um, DAX like Bancor, um, yeah, could just use existing collateral and stake BT or BBT and try to, try to figure out how with the link token and so I think it's it's quite some things to figure out but um, as we as we all know the, um, the demand market for staking will be will be really huge right now we're just talking about um, yeah implicit staking uh, future fee opportunity but all the impact of explicit, uh, explicit staking um, will be I think will be more massive than we can we can imagine at the time so um, I think it's also quite important that um, there will be there will be a choice for for staker for link token holder where he can deposit his link. And as Luke mentioned, maybe it's not even necessary that, um, for example, in the link um, staking proposal um, or model, um, it was also mentioned that you could deposit your link and then at the end you could also vote, um, say there's a strategy A, strategy B, and um, yeah, you have kind of a governance. And um, then link will be distributed and redistributed uh, and balanced from time to time, depending on the on the need and the demand of link tokens um, deposited to to certain node. And um, yeah, I think that this some kind of uh, model could also work pretty well for for Banco, um, just to use existing collateral and liquidity pools and um, somehow. Facilitating the staking process for the for the for the end user, 
because not everybody holding LinkedIn is aware which node is um, fulfilling which kind of jobs participating in which dons. And so it was it would relieve a little bit um, um, the management process for the end user. And I think um, a platform takes like like Bangkok with all the capacity and um, the expertise would also be able to um, develop a great model um, in order to find a good way how to dist distribute link tokens and yeah find a good and appropriate staking model. Wow, that sounds incredible. Uh, I'm really glad someone's working on some shit like that because I can't get into bank or save my life. Um, but I did yeah, have some technical difficulties in the first like 12 minutes and wasn't able to get on. Is there anything you guys want to get on record for the video about uh, your project or Chainlink in general, Jim Jiminy or Ryan or anyone? Anything <laughs> yeah, I missed that was pretty critical? I, I just missed everything yeah, from like 10 o'clock to 10.12. <laughs> yeah, well, right now it's 4.43 a.m. Just got up for this. There's no excuse that my Twitter crashes every time I want to join space. <laughs> but um, yeah, so of course I will. I will just introduce, give some background info. Maybe um, it's also interesting for some people to see um, how the whole development or the process of setting up chaining nodes works at the moment. Because yeah, hundred um, percent. Thank you. We just yeah. <laughs> so we we yeah we're just following we were just following uh, chaining the ecosystem um, for the last years and. We're big fans, um, investors, traders first, but um, we, for us, it was clear that at some point we would spin up our own node infrastructure. And once our team was completed and, and we, yeah, we found a nice setup, um, we just started off in January. And yeah, of course, how do you start? You just figure out how to spin up a node. You start on testnet. We started on, uh, yeah, messing around with Coven and Ring B and stuff. And um, yeah, no, this pretty fast that um, it's great to have a running node, but yeah, uh, there always comes down to this topic that you need customers, right? We see people joining Discord every day asking, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm a node operator, I got a, a running Ethereum node, Bitcoin node, I spin up my chaining node, how do I how do I earn money or uh, what what income can I expect? And so, yeah, we also had to figure, figure out this and um, so we just continued and um, we, we kept spinning up new nodes and fortunately the hackathon was uh, was kicking off and so there's a huge chance to you know um, yeah just collaborate with with teams with projects uh, yeah which all needed chaining nodes and of course the price feed node operators they they're busy maintaining their infrastructure and um, making concepts like like Linkpool does right now they have um, different uh, other problems than spinning up testnet nodes for um yeah for an NFT platform so we took this chance and um yeah whenever there was someone asking for a node operator um to to host or deploy external adapters or yeah even creating new nodes on on different networks because we, um, we uh, um, deployed some nodes on Avalanche and Polygon XDAI all those uh, layers and new blockchains on BC and so yeah this was a perfect learning for us because uh, because yeah we just went through the process of um, yeah, having first users, customers, however you want to call it. And so um, what we also figured out during this whole process is that um, there is documentation about how to spin up chaining node infrastructure. 
but it definitely um, yeah there's huge gap in terms of um, yeah security security hints and how to maintain high availability which is the most important thing for chaining node right I mean because you can spin up your chaining node you can host it locally no problem but um, when it comes to to fulfilling um, requests which are triggering high value transactions um, for example like price feeds and you want to make sure that your you know this is always up there's really um, close to zero downtime um, so there are many many points of failure you you need to make sure um, you get rid of them so for us it was pretty clear um, especially seeing the huge demand and the potential of chaining um, more than 500 integrations now um, and it keeps keeps increasing uh, for us it was pretty clear that um, we just need to onboard more node operators and that this is this is um, a huge I wouldn't call it issue, but it's it's a big necessity, you know, for the next for the for scaling of chaining for safe uh, scaling. And so we're um, heavily focusing on research on, on um, providing documentation about how to spin up chaining nodes. So we yeah we're really digging uh, digging into it. We we just want to make it um, public. We want to spread the word because um, yeah, Discord is great. You know, uh, you can you can answer questions, you can share, you can use the search function, but it's not it's not the optimal solution um so we're just uh, currently figuring out some some advanced um, ways of providing documentation we also want to contribute to the um, official chaining docs and yeah so um uh, before you end, get too uh, much further uh, sorry to cut uh, you off but who who's we like yeah, who's, yeah, your, no who's your team just to put on record like we know but it wasn't recorded yeah, our team, our team is basically consisting of me, Rob, and Ken. We are the we are founders. We are three uh, childhood friends. We just onboarded uh, um, the system admin as well. And um, so yeah, that's pretty much a team. We are busy expanding and onboarding new members because yeah, <laughs> right now we're already in the stage where we're having our first customers. We um, are currently also participating in something called the Oracle Olympics. It's better which gives um, node operators the opportunity to uh, go through a one-month period of um, being stress-tested and, um, and yeah, doing a real-life price feed scenario on the testnet, on the common testnet with high-frequency um, price feeds. And so, yeah, this is one thing I, I also want to mention maybe for, for people thinking about spinning up chaining node or um, becoming node service providers. Um, it's definitely not a one-man show, and that's what we what we tell people as well when we talk about our experiences um, or the process over the last month. Um, you 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 want to make sure that uh, everything is covered right because there are many many things you need to you need to have expertise or at least you need to uh, gain knowledge about so the off-chain components, how to set up your um, yeah your your infrastructure, your backend infrastructure, how to connect the, the database and everything, how to make it very available. Um, that, but then, of course, there's also the on-chain component, so you need to make sure you you know about um, how to deploy smart contracts, you know how to um, add uh, jobs to your node, how to deploy external adapters. Yeah, right. Okay, we cut out. Can you guys still hear us? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it says you lose signal, but you don't. Um, okay. But, so, you, uh, just a quick question. You said it takes, like, a team to run an efficient, secure node, right? Uh, so, what... If like a civilian in the future wanted to run their own node, who would they have to kind of like hire, or like what what measures would they have to take to make sure their node was efficient and secure? 
I mean, uh, so first of all, of course, they could approach Liverpool <laughs> and ask for a notice of service, <laughs> get managed by Liverpool or another, uh, yeah, service gotcha. provider um, offering something like this. I mean, if you're really some, somebody, I mean, I guess we're not talking about um, entirely non-technical people, but um, yeah, also talking about um, exchanges, um, spinning up their own notes, like Banco potentially or Nobody Kraken or OB. I think it's also nice for, for corporations, you know, who just want to monetize, monetize their existing data, um, who could have their node managed by um, an existing and established node operator. But yeah, if you're a civilian and you wanna you wanna spin up your um, node infrastructure, I think it's definitely um, good and helpful to to have someone uh, with expertise in um, system administrations, right? How to manage this whole cloud infrastructure if you want to um, host your, your nodes back end um, in the cloud. Um, so this, this is quite important also in terms of security, data security, cybersecurity, and um, yeah, maintaining this availability then, um, of course, when it comes to um, writing external adapters, deploying them, everything, um, or adding uh, jobs to your node, then it's, it's an advantage if you if you have some coding skills. I wouldn't say that it's a um, urgent requirement, but yeah, you should you should have some expertise. And I think it's definitely also important to at least know about EVM compatible chains to know about um, yeah, how blockchain functions, of course, because I guess there are many people who are really technical, who are really um, sophisticated uh, in terms of system administration, everything of chain architecture. But when it comes to the on the on-chain components, I mean, everything is still quite new. Um, so yeah, I think this is also important. But at the same time, what you also need is um, the uh, uh, the financial knowledge, the knowledge uh, of the markets. You know, you you need to know, you need to have a business plan, um, because really running a chaining node is not is not the same like running an Ethereum or Bitcoin node. You you don't spin it up, spin it up, make sure it stays up, and then it it grinds you some PTC or ETH. You uh, you really need to have um, a plan, and you have to have in mind that you need to onboard customers or participate to something uh, which is serving customers. So it's yeah, as I said, it's quite some components. I think um, you should at least have a team of two people, um, maybe better three people, and then you sh uh, should make sure that you're just yeah covering all those um, all those different fields. But it sounds a lot, it sounds like a lot, but at the end, I think. Um, there are also so many learnings. The learning curve is massive. I mean, as we all know, in the chaining space, every day there are some, some news and some updates. But I think as long as you're you're hungry to learn new things and you're you're open-minded, because in the community everybody answers you any question. So um, I think everybody can turn in, and I would encourage everybody to at least try it because um, nothing nothing impossible. That's awesome. But I, I guess a question on top of that: if someone wanted to take like the lazy approach, like an exchange or a corporation or a business wanted to spin up their own node tomorrow, what type of money would they have to throw at like hiring a team to, to make a secure and efficient node? Like, is it, is, it, is it like Solidity where there's so few people able to do it that it's just ridiculously expensive to get a decent team? Well, I'm not quite aware of that because at the moment we're not really offering something like this. Um, it's a possibility for the future um, this would be a question I think Linko would be able to answer if they wanted to um, I mean that's free market at the end um, but I think that it's kept quite fair you know because um, what is what is great is that 
once you figure out how to spin up chaining node, it's quite easily scalable. So it's 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 not that the whole process takes as much time as spinning up node initially. So um, you can you can yeah have your stuff set and um, I don't want to say it's copy paste because not, but um, you can find nice ways to um, spin up the infrastructure and then just pass the, the credentials to to your customers so that. Um, the node is managed by by professional node operating team, um, and you because you could you could find a model where you can uh, take a share um, percentage of their their income, or you say okay we just take a one time um, setup deployment fee. However, um, but I think it's 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 not the same like hiring a sophisticated Solidity developer because he has yeah so many so many options so many potential. Um, ways to, to monetize, monetize his skills um, and I think yeah so seeing seeing new customers in this regard um, for notice and service um, it's it's also a long-term thing and the long-term thinking um, in the node operator space seems to be pretty um, pretty deep you know people think about the next I mean when I guess when Linkool started um, their operations they, they they had a mind where this might lead them but I mean right now Imagining the next two, three, even five years, chaining is pretty, pretty um, possible. So I think it's rather the long-term thinking instead of just taking a stupidly high fee initially and then saying, okay, now uh, here you go. So yeah, but you would need to contact someone who is um, already offering uh, such services, I think, to to get more insights. Estimated 
and, and, and all this stuff and not have the worry that you could, you know, have this impermanent loss effect of, you know, retrieving less tokens because the nodes are out there getting slashed that you didn't pick to begin with. Um, so you wouldn't have to be necessarily fully up on, on all the nodes and I, I want my chain link with this one or that one. Just um, contributing to the pool with, you know, very clearly predefined and protected circumstances. That's awesome. Thank you for uh, adding a little bit further in that. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, if I could, I want to take it back and you know, transition to Rover, if, if the, you know, you, you hosts feel, feel good with that, and get Ryan on board. I have a couple questions for sure. proposal. Um, it's, I'm a little confused. Are, are, you, are you proposing that uh, to, to have a node for Bancor? Is Bancor going to be a data provider? Are they going to be a node operator? Are you going to be giving link to other node operators? Now, if that's unrealistic, 
and the splashes would need to be shared to some degree, then yes, that's a nice idea to have some of the rewards, you know, build in a pool that would pay out first so that the link stakers are protected and it's just from some of the accrued profit that the banker side of slashes is funded. It's a slippery slope because if banker is, you know, ensuring the slashing, well then nodes are now borrowing link that's not theirs to, you know, provide data to these jobs that there's less financially incentivized to do well. Um, and if they're if a slash is coming like and they know that it's not coming from them, you know, then that that feels like a, a you know, an area you couldn't get into. Um, and then it would make the make the model vulnerable. But um, an insurance pool is probably has a role. Uh, probably has a role. Uh, yeah, I think it, just the last question. Um, regarding uh, because you're obviously locking up BBNT to to put link into uh, pools, and I, I'm not, and it, it, it's, it's it's a kind of a, another type of token burn, from what I understand, what you're saying. Um, are you going to limit the amount of link that uh, kind of goes in so that you can reach that one to one ratio, and it doesn't go beyond that? Um, one to one in terms of BNT to BBNT. Yeah, yeah, because uh, because you're trading your BNT for X amount of link, and say you know, so whale comes in a ton of BNT and a ton of link. You know, they can kind of drive that ratio. Uh, yeah, um, away from the one to one. That's interesting. Um, now it makes me think I need to revisit um, Baker's initial models with the you know BNT to BNT peg, um, and I'm not fully recalling their explanation for the um, downward pressures if VBNT were to over, you know, exceed peg. Um, but what I could say too is if, uh, you know, Whale was coming in and they wanted to grab a lot of VBNT to snake a lot of link, well, their cash would be better spent on BNT to stake and then receive VBNT so that they're getting the double benefit of staking. If you buy a VBNT outright, your initial investment is not accruing rewards or EPR, but if you buy BNT initially, you're getting the pre-staking rewards as well as BBNT to get the link staking rewards. In fact, if BBNT went above peg, even more so, you'd want to buy the BNT and stake that because then you would receive you know more value than BNT um, effectively. Although the, the uh, allowance would be the same, so it's a it's a good question. Something I need to reflect on more. No, no, no. I, 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 I understand this is kind of a preliminary idea and you're kind of getting ideas from people in the audience. Thanks for sharing. Yes. No, thanks for asking. That's what I'm looking for. Um, and if it's a good time then to transfer over to Rover and I can put on my loop from Rover Solutions hat um, and just kind of um, real quick uh, explain how we initially all got together, um, you know, these three parties. So um, initially, you know, um, Ryan approached me as, you know, Luke, and, and we know each other a long time back, and um, he had been getting into the crypto space. I, I can let him speak on this, but uh, he brought me an idea that was, was solid, and I helped him sort of develop it from the blockchain perspective. Um, and then at that point, we were looking for you know, some sort of technical developers sort of help to build it, and 
um, I was sort of digging through past contacts and um, uncovered Roger, who had reached out um, in the past, and, and we had we had discussed in the past about a different concept of mine that you know was a dead end, but um, he was interested. We had shared some of the same interests, so I reached out to him, knowing that he was you know at this point operating a chain link node, thinking he could help us on the developer end in terms of making this product run. Um, where you know we had a couple you know Zoom calls and decided to, to pursue working on this together. So that's where the connection came back to life with Link River. Um, and then in thinking through some of what, what Link River was dealing with, thinking through the staking models, initially I drafted a proposal for tokenomics for a, a potential Link River token. Now that I've gone down this um, other alley where we have you know Link Pool and, and these collective pools where nodes can borrow from individually, yeah, it, it makes less sense to individualize the staking model for Link River. So I don't know that that holds any water anymore, but um, at least we've maintained this contact to push forward the um, construction-related project that I will toss over to Ryan to explain. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, as, as Luke sort of described, it's a very untraditional relationship in that we have, you know, three very different individuals coming together and seeing how we can all help each other. And I, I think we saw the value in each party in that, you know, Luke is sort of that gigabrain tokenomics, you know, crypto-involved individual. And then we have myself, who is very involved in the construction aspect of things in the construction industry, and maybe seeing some of the potential benefits of crypto economics and smart contracts in my day-to-day -day job. And, you know, maybe a lot of the issues that I've come across in my day-to-day -day life can, can actually be resolved by implementing smart contracts. Um, and, you know, like, like Luke said, you know, we, we came upon Link River and Roger because, you know, we felt um, them as a trusted team have the understanding of the technical backgrounds of Don's and, and you know, node operating, and, and that really is the missing link to, you know, bringing us full stop to implementing a product. Um, and so how, how we initially sort of develop this product was almost as an insurance product. Um, you know, we're, we're very well of the insurance players in the crypto space right now. Um, we, we have talked to a couple of them and, and you know, applied for grants and, <clears throat> you know, explored, explored options on the insurance route. But we felt that we didn't want to, you know, narrow ourselves into an insurance product. I think we've sort of seen as we progress that, well, just by implementing smart contracts alone, we can benefit the entire construction ecosystem. Um, and I think it's important to highlight um, some of the recent podcasts and talks that, you know, Sergey from, from Chainlink has been talking about um, that really kind of speak volumes to us and resonate um, to us specifically. Um, you know, when, when he was on the White Paper 2.0 panel um, with Ari, um, they were talking about, you know, potential societal impacts of smart contract adoption. Um, you know, I think everything that they were saying was extremely accurate in that, you know, smart contracts are essentially business logic automations. Um, and, and what we have now in the construction industry is a lot of um, payment disputes and a lot of these, you know, current legal agreements that are just inefficient and untrustworthy. And maybe by taking some of those fundamentals that Chainlink brings to the table, maybe we can solve some of those problems. Um, and so that's kind of how we developed um, the fundamentals um, behind, the, behind the project. Um, you know, another 
um, another recent podcast that Surya was on in talking to Lex, um, he, he brought up one, one use case where, you know, hey, are we able to actually quantify whether or not someone painted my house blue? If I hired a painter to paint my house blue, is that, is that quantifiable? Can we track that data to feed a smart contract? And is it even feasible? And what they brought up was, well, there's got to be demand for that data. And if we look at high-level, uh, multi-layer construction projects like hotels, um, apartment complexes, high-rise buildings, um, you know, there is demand for that data. And there are a lot of tech companies that have you know, succeeded in the recent years in developing project management software tools that can collect data for analytics to hopefully improve the construction process. And they're kind of brought into the system to tackle a massive, massive problem in the industry. And that is that approximately 75% of uh, construction projects in the U.S. market are delayed by 10% or more. I think that's just a generally accepted definitive truth that doesn't need to be there. We don't need to accept that 75% of projects are delayed. I think, you know, tech companies are realizing that, um, you know, the more we aggregate data, the more we can, can tackle that. And the more that, you know, we can implement sort of these hybrid smart contracts to um, improve the overall um, completion percentage, you know, ratio of, of construction projects. Um, and so, you know, I can, I can dive into the details of it, but from, you know, an alignment uh, standpoint, how we kind of brought all of the pieces together was through a staking model, through tokenomics, and how we can get the crypto economics, you know, crowd involved in our process. And hopefully, I can pass it back to Luke, and he can speak on, you know, some of some of the tokenomics and how it would play into um, sort of the risk pool model and, and maybe the transfer of money. Um, so I'm going to pass it back to him. <laughs> All right, yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, you know, so in drafting something like this, um, quick details, it would involve uh, owner of a project paying a small percentage of the project value to essentially purchase this in incentive structure to incentivize all parties to execute on time under the, you know, predetermined automation of the smart contract structure. So in order for, for this to work, um, there would need to be a risk pool element. You know, there's some payoffs that, that could potentially occur. Um, you know, though, yes, a little bit different from insurance because it's not what we're doing is insuring the job. If the building never gets built, you know, this structure does not recoup the entire loss for the for the um, owner. So what they're, what they're really doing is purchasing this incentive to smart contract-based structure, okay? Now, if we're going to have a risk pool element to ensure the policy, um, and, and this is where we've gotten into um, a dilemma in terms of, you know, sort of receiving or accepting initial funds, um, is that we want to be involved in, we'll be on the blockchain, um, and it will make sense in terms of a risk pool, you know, and, and does, a, does a certain token make sense as, as the basis for a risk pool when the value of the token can fluctuate greatly? Um, if we're having a product that's, you know, facilitating a $600 million build and we have a risk pool that's meant to ensure this 
um, project, even though the, the payouts are, are a small percentage of that, um, you, we can't have a 40% drop in a day and, and you know, sort of wash out the, the potential incentives and, and uh, payouts. So this led us to uh, you know, sort of a stable coin pool model, though if we were to have some staking with stable, you know, stable coins, um, there'd be, there'd be a high APR sort of, um, assured return. So, um, this is where we're looking to break in to the right partnership and the right team to, to make this happen. Um, Ryan alluded to some conversations with players in the insurance space, um, on the crypto side, and that, that comes with sort of contingencies of, um, you know, marrying our project to certain tokens, which we hesitate at, um, you know, playing in different models, you know, is there a, a potential for our own tokens, got to be stable, stable coins. Um, so, so this is a, the stage that we're at, but in debating these things, we're really at the, at the stage of, you know, finding the best partnerships, trying to secure the meetings with, with the best players to, to um, build this thing um, fully and go from there where, where the, the pool allows us, but, but the long story short, there, there will be a participation aspect in the community aspect and a, and a way to sort of get invested and involved in this and, and, um, share the profits of, of this and it's a big money industry and that's, you know, where, where the appeal is and that's where we've seen the interest so far is, is that it would be within the space uh, among the highest value smart contract applications so far and also the most complicated, which is, um, where in our, you know, our challenge lies in our, our product, um, but potentially and hopefully uh, has, has value is in solving how to do this. Yeah, I, I, had, I had a question. Um, are you, so, is your solution primarily about um, ensuring milestone completions by like certain dates and then holding parties to their agreements? Uh, or does like this solution go a little bit deeper? Is it kind of like tracking inventory on the construction site and kind of like towards like all data is like tracked in transparency way between the both parties like can you kind of walk me through like what is the specific use case from a uh, construction company as to why they would use this product yeah absolutely so when initially drafting you know our, our thought process and how the product would work we looked in terms of an, an if-then scenario and we look at it and say, okay, we've got a we've got a property investment company who is saying, hey, look, I'm willing to spend five hundred million dollars to build this hotel, but I kind of have this understanding that I'm not okay with. But there's a seventy five percent chance that my hotel could be delayed. Well, me as a property investor, I'm thinking I want this project built ASAP so I can start filling these hotel rooms and I can start collecting revenue. And you know. We kind of have a general understanding that the general contractors, the subcontractors, you know, might delay this process, but I would incentivize them to kick it up a notch and, you know, actually perform and get this done on time. And so if I'm a property investment company, I'm saying, you know what, if I've got a $500 million project, I'm willing to cough up an additional 2%, which would be, you know, $10 million to increase the probability of on-time completion and so what we were thinking initially was well let's just create an insurance policy that says well uh, property investor costs up two percent for a 
potential payout of upwards of 20%. And then we would look into where does that money come from. But as we sort of dived into that very basic, um, you know, putting up 2% for a potential 20% payoff if the product is delayed. But then we have to ask the question, well, what happens if it's delayed by one day? What happens if it's delayed by one week, one month? Um, and we can kind of um, bring up some other insurance products like hurricane insurance from Ethnisk. And their, their model is, okay, well, if you pay, you know, 300 or $500 premium um, and there's a hurricane event that's within 30 miles of your location that reach wind speeds of, you know, one, two, or three, you get a specific payout um, for how high that wind speeds are in relation to where the hurricane happened geographically. And so we kind of structure it like that. So, okay, well, if it's one week late, you get a 2% payout back. If it's if it's a, a month late, you get, you know, 5% payout back. But as we, as we looked into that, you know, sort of insurance model, we found out, well, maybe this isn't an insurance product. Maybe this is more of implementing smart contracts at every single level because smart contracts rely on, you know, verifiable data. And there's a high potential that the property investor and the general contractor could get together and say, you know what, let's just say that this hotel is going to take six months, but it's actually going to take a year. That way the policy initiates and executes we get the payout, we split it amongst us, right? That, that's a high probability collusion scenario. If we just look at, you know, target completion date, does, is the date hit, yes or no? And that's sort of where, you know, we, we aim to stray away from that traditional decentralized insurance, you know, framework is we're looking for a more in-depth solution. Um, and that's where we come on and, and find that, you know, these data aggregators, um, that are tracking every single task as it happens in the field, um, we can pull data from those um, and we can initiate smart contracts from those tasks. So let me just give a you know, quick example of um, that, that same hotel, right? It's a $500 million hotel, there's a thousand rooms and there's a general contractor and subcontractors. The general contractor is in charge of overseeing and managing all the subcontractors, different trades, you know, performing the work. Each subcontractor has their, you know, identified tasks. Okay, you're a concrete guy, you pour concrete. You're a steel erector, you erect steel. So let's use the example of a mechanical contractor who's going to put in air conditioning units in all of these hotel rooms. So <clears throat> they would have a specific task list that says, okay, you know, I, I need to install 1,000 air conditioning units, and I've got a monetary value for each of those tasks. So what would happen is we would have those tasks in a data oracle that already exists, and we would say, okay, let's look at our tasks, let's look at our target completion date. And that task would either be completed by that target completion date or not. And let's just say in a perfect world that they installed, you know, 10 air conditioning units and the price for that was a thousand dollars so we would essentially pull the data from that data oracle to initiate the smart contract for payment um and that's just kind of i don't know a rough way of describing the process does that help kind of look inside a little bit or do you need me to elaborate more 
data verification source and the subcontractor himself. He's saying, yep, I completed it. Okay? Then you've got the general contractor who goes up and says, yeah, they're installed. Looks good. Let me call it out for inspection. And then you've got a third source, uh, uh, an inspector that comes in who has jurisdiction over the code and says, you know what? Looks good. It's up to code. I think they should get paid for this, right? So if you got if you got two verification sources that are outside of the person actually completing the task, well, let's go ahead. Let's tack on another three or four subcontractors that can verify that this data is true to say, yeah, those 10 air conditionings are up there. I don't know if it's up to code, but I'm going to leave that up to the inspector. So now we're, we're kind of using the chain link like node model and saying, look, I've got five or six different sources verifying that this task is complete. Right? And they all have different incentive. And that incentive comes from that initial policy in the beginning that pays out this bonus structure for you to participate in this activity. Right? The, the, the concrete guy is going to be like, why the hell am I you know, verifying that these air conditioning units are in? Well, they're going to call the office and the office is going to say, look, man, we're getting an additional 10% profit to our contract for you to participate. Go up there and take a picture of it, submit it to the data oracle so the smart contract can execute. Right? We have to create incentive for people to verify this data. And I think we've built a model that can do that. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, did you have something to add? That's why you may be throwing your hand. <laughs> yeah, but then Ryan killed it. So, so I can hold on, hold on. Luke, Luke, let um, Roger speak. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I just want to add a few words um, regarding the, uh, the data input and how to incentivize um, subcontractors for each party to, to not. Um, I think it's it's interesting because um, there's some great similarities to how the um, Chainlink 2, uh, 2.0 uh, staking model looks like, you know. So how do you create incentive that um, um, potential um, bribery is not um, economical, interesting for the parties involved, you know. You have to create the incentive that um, those individual um, participants of the project um, yeah, have, have incentive to verify, okay, um, I saw that um, state X is confirmed or not, and I think how, uh, from my understanding of the current processes that you, you would have a general cons constructor and you would have um, a manager, construction manager, right, so um, there's a lot more potential for delays or for wrong data or for wrong um, yeah, for wrong statements being placed, you know, I think uh, one of the big reasons why um, the big construction projects, um, because we're talking about, yeah, huge uh, multi-million dollar projects are delayed is that um, the individual parties, they, they are um, doing their own thing, not verifying what the other party is doing. And so this fits pretty well into this whole um, spirit of decentralization and how to, um, how to work in a trustless manner so that each party benefits um, without having more, uh, without having to, to add anything to, to the job they're doing anyway, you know, and so there's this financial incentive, um, which which is pretty massive, I think, and so, um, yeah, as we all know, then um, Oracle Stones, they could, they, they fit perfectly well into it, they could just verify state, state changes um, on chain, um, but just if it's necessary, so with off-chain reporting, um, you can massively reduce the, the gas costs, and so um, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a problem to, to have it done observing those individual APIs and 
just making on-chain updates whenever it's necessary. So I think it's a perfect fit because there are some um, some things and some smart contract complexity you would need to make sure and prove before and test because. But yeah, I think that um, this is a perfect fit for Oracle technology and smart contracts. And yeah, um, when when Ryan was talking about the numbers and the potential. Um, yeah, potential savings you could achieve. I think it's it's a logical step and a logical development in this whole construction space. Yeah, going off that, I, have a, I had a question because I know you know on a lot of large scale construction projects, there's you know companies that offer full suite uh, management software. Like I know Procore is one of those types of country or companies that offer that. Is your is your guys' solution something that would kind of plug in through like an API on the back end to enhance uh, these like construction management software service offerings, or are you guys aiming to have your essentially your own in-house uh, management software? That makes sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you hit the nail on the head. So Procore is one of the two I think industry leaders. <clears throat> the next would be BIM three hundred and sixty, and that's the parent company there is Autodesk. Autodesk is a global leader in construction technology, um, graph design. They, they kind of lead, lead the charge in my perspective. You know, a majority, vast majority of projects that I'm involved in now all use either one or both to help project manage and, um, you know, schedule everything. And, you know, I, I don't know if API is the right term. You know, I'm not crypto technical background guy, but I know that absolutely we would essentially be using data from those um, types of softwares to plug into our smart contracts. Um, you know, BIM 360 is a perfect example of how it houses everything. It houses the tasks, it houses um, RFIs, and if there's questions about designs, it houses project management, you know, software. And so the more data and the more people participate in BIM 360, the more beneficial it is for everyone involved um, because we just have a, a plethora of data to you know, verify that what we're doing and what's happening in the field is actually correlated and verified on the Oracle, therefore executing the smart contract. Can you guys elaborate on if the smart contract goes wrong, how does the reversal thing operate? Sure, I think that's again um, one point where uh, advanced smart contract um, insurance or insurance policy would um, jump in, and I think we're we're also currently seeing a lot of advance in this regard. I mean, um, there would be there would be quite some projects focusing on this as um, yeah the the need and the demand for for this is increasing as well. So you would of course need to make sure. And um, as I said, there's no concrete m model currently um, designed. So these are definitely questions you, you need to consider when um, yeah when, when writing smart contracts, which which are designed to trigger um, yeah really high value transactions. Um, but I'm I'm pretty sure that um, it's it's not a problem to yeah as I said to, to implement such an insurance policy and um, how it would exactly look like um, is is a good question and will I think bring a lot of clarity within the next week, months, however. Yeah, and this is where, this is a, a very human process that we're trying to 
put in the model of, you know, smart contracts, which are, um, as Sergey would say, is sort of in, in a in a black box with you know without any outside communication. So, so how do we how do we um, codify this this very human process? And is is the real challenge in the product itself is is all of these um, collusion scenarios, really running models to make sure that there's no collusion scenario that, that's more profitable than the honesty scenarios. And um, as we have, you know, incentives for multiple people to be reporting data, there's the possibility that a contractor looks at a job and would call it done, right? But then someone with a more technical expertise looks at the job and, and notes that it's not done. So it's a dispute resolution, you know, um, element that we need as well, like a mechanism for dispute resolution. This is something that the Don um, Networks on Chainlink um, described in the, in the white paper 2.0 that kind of came out in a perfect time for us because we are essentially implementing the um, features of the you know Chainlink infrastructure on, on the human level, um, and, and we would sort of need that that upper that second layer uh, authoritative party to, to be able to view a dispute and, and determine you know unbiasedly with with incentive to be honest um, which which side is accurate and then. In such a scenario, okay, there's a couple, couple different layers to it. Was the person that was on the wrong side of the determination lying, um, misinformed, you know, or or what? So um, that is a front end question that we've considered. Is as you input data, um, you know, maybe it's more than a yes no toggle. Maybe it's maybe it's more of a um, yes. I verify that it's complete and completed correctly. Or I'm simply verifying that I that I visually can confirm that it's done, but you know, without the technical expertise, or no, it's not done. Um, and then with these layers, the dispute resolution could, could be, become more clear. Was it was it an attempted collusion, and therefore that misreporting is is then hacked, and then you know the hacked um, financials are, are spread among the honest parties, as Chain as Chainlink's model has, or simply bypassed as a as a misreporting so these are the technical elements that make, make it very difficult to implement on the, the human level on such a large-scale project and that are the um, biggest focus for me yeah that makes sense but I think my question more is like for, for example for the, like the construction it's more or less about like uh, collusion and lying as like in the construction process just like maybe a natural disaster like no one's really at fault does the smart contract just halt? Does it have to be rewritten? Does everything get reversed? Like, how do you move forward when no, either party's really at fault, no collusion, but the existing smart contract no longer works because the time frame's been changed or things have been changed? Like, is that, do you have to rewrite the whole thing? Do you, is that like a user input process? Like, what, what's that like? I guess less about the like, if someone were to lie on the smart contract. Sure. So it's an interesting question. Is that something we um, have more development to do? I, I can say initially, I can imagine, you know, one of these natural disaster sort of scenarios where certain elements could be informed by APIs um, theoretically in, in the future. Not that all the infrastructure is there, or otherwise there could be a me mechanism within the contract. Since it's not so much defined by dates as much as timely completion per contractor, right? On sort of like think of it like a slinky. So um, if there was a mechanism that would allow all parties to input uh, um, 
contract at this contractor, right? Like th- there's some sort of outside circumstances that are, are halting the job at, at the fault of no one, and each participant verifies that. Well, then maybe um, the actual structure of the smart contract can remain and resume when all of the parties come together and initiate the continuance. Yeah, that makes sense. Then, I guess my initial worry was that, like, uh, if something out of control were to happen, that it would automatically, since it's kind of AI, pick someone at fault and automatically pay out the wrong party. Uh, but I guess the system you guys are building out is more user input-based smart contracts. Yeah. Appreciate the question, definitely, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the considerations, obviously, is what happens if a massive storm comes through and then the whole, you know, the whole building falls down and then just just the smart contract execute and the policy payout. Well, I think I think what I meant by you know implementing smart contracts in every process was that we're we're trying to reimagine the payment process in that we are you know essentially providing a, you know, a value to each task that needs to be completed and just breaking it down, you know, pretty simply. If, if I'm in charge of doing 10 tasks and each task is worth $1,000, then we're relying on these smart contracts to say, okay, once that task is done, no matter when it's completed, right, is that task done? Yes or no. If that task is done, then the payment process initiates. The payment process in construction is a little bit wonky in that if you say, okay, for this billing cycle, you know, I completed five tasks, which is 10% of my overall contract, I'm the current model is I'm essentially asking the general contractor, hey, I completed 10% of my contract. Can I get paid for that? And that opens up payment disputes. It opens up trust issues where the subcontractor says, hey, I've completed it. The general contractor says, no, you haven't. I'm not going to pay you this month. You know, that that's just a general trust issue that can be resolved through, you know, automated smart contract payments. But um, what, what we're looking to do to revise that is, you know, rather than you as a subcontractor having to go to the general contractor and ask for payment, um, the, the payment just automatically initiates as you complete the tasks. And another aspect of the payments that um, hasn't been mentioned yet is, is this um, fundamental of retainage. And what retainage is, is let's say that you know we apply that same model of I've completed my five tasks and I'm asking you to pay me $10,000 out of my $100,000 contract. So the general contractor is going to say, okay, all right, fine. I agree you completed those, those tasks. But I'm going to give you $10,000, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold back either 5 to 10% of that, you know, which is agreed upon in the legal agreement before we start. But I'm going to hold back 5 to 10% of that just to kind of guarantee me that you're going to finish out your contract, that you're not going to just take this $10,000 and run. So that, that retainage is almost used as collateral. It's used as collateral to incentivize you to keep going on and performing your tasks, but we're going to kind of reuse that retainage and submit it as collateral to, um, you know, to this risk pool, to this policy risk pool, in that if we identify you as a 
subcontractor for being responsible for delaying the project, your retainage is now forfeited. Rather than your retainage being paid out at the end of your project, you go back and forth with the general contractor and you kind of beg for mercy for your full retainage amount. Well, the accountability happens as the task is not completed. Um, and so that kind of sidesteps your question a little bit about natural disasters, but no, that's totally, gives, that's totally yeah. worth it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, it gives you insight into how you know as the as the task is not completed on time, we have direct accountability to say, okay, this concrete guy was four days behind schedule. You know, whether he didn't have manpower or you know the superintendent's truck broke down that had more bags of concrete in it. Well, we can identify where that scheduling delay happened, and we can hold them directly accountable, pull their retainage, and forfeit their retainage. Right. Let me add the uh, optimistic side of that because what what the product ultimately um, provides, which is we think extremely valuable and maybe the most valuable thing, is that it takes the, the pressure off and the tension off of a lot of these relationships that become disputes, you know, and become combative, um, and retainage being withheld when it's it's unjust or you know um, other sorts of scenarios. Well, if, if it's more so automated um, in a way that that is reliable and transparent, not only are these relationships more amicable and collaborative, but the overhead necessary per subcontractor and the overhead necessary for the general contractor and people sitting in their offices sending emails and making phone calls to try to chase down money, you know, and then the job getting paused because of a payment dispute, and now the whole job is a month late because some general contractors and subcontractors couldn't settle their, you know, settle their shit. It's like, um, it, it takes away all of it. I mean, it aims to take away all of that and, and just make the entire job, again, collaborative and everybody's incentivized to, and now with less overhead, has more funding to hire extra manpower to ascertain that their job will be completed on time. And it's a virtuous cycle so that everybody's incentivized and more able to complete their jobs on time with disputes eliminated so that even for the policyholder, the most ideal scenario is that they pay the two percent policy and the job completes on time. Awesome. And if I you think about that, that's pretty powerful because it's yeah, it's that makes a they, lot they of sense. Pay, right. Um. So I I've been asking a lot of questions. This is really fascinating because I know a lot of people that work in this uh, construction industry. Um. So I guess my question for you, Journey, is like uh. For the solution that you guys have seen to have come up with it, I think is great, but building out contracts on every level to hold people accountable and to make it efficient seems like a lot of work on the coding back end. How is that really like sustainable for a massive construction project that handles like hundreds of subcontractors and then your system runs mainly, uh, not mainly, but a lot of it has to do with user input to hold people accountable because these things are changing every day, right? So, is that are, are there just like thousands or hundreds of contracts running at the same time for an elaborate project? Because like my original kind of understanding of smart contracts is they're kind of just these broader agreements that run, but your solution seems to sure. be the opposite of that. But and it seems like a great idea, but it seems like a lot of legwork on the back end. Let me, let me speak on this real quick. So, yeah, in, in the in the existing, you know, construction payment model, um, you're absolutely right. If, if there is hundreds of subcontractors that are working on this 
you know, 50-story high-rise building in a metropolitan area, you know, you're going to come across, you know, 50 to 60 different subcontractors, and they're all going to have legal agreements with a general contractor to, you know, determine means and methods and, and you know, safety protocols and, and payment, you know, payment instructions and so all of these legal agreements um, exist and like you said there's hundreds of them um, and most of them are in relationship to the general contractor and subcontractor so there's also you know second tier third tier subcontractors where let's say the, the general contractor hires a subcontractor that does multiple different things and maybe maybe this subcontractor a hires subcontractor b c and d below them and has a contract with them. And so, yes, there's there's many different layers of subcontracts that happen during the construction process. But what we propose to do is automating these, um, you know, current legal agreements and, and the payment method um, of it to basically take a lot of that, you know, office overhead and, like Luke was saying, chasing down your money out of, out of the picture to allow your office staff to do other things and, and maybe hopefully decrease your overhead so you're not so focused on these subcontracts you're you can do other stuff you can go out and sell and so um you know how do we implement all of these smart contracts while making it efficient well i think if if we can just um you know implement a, a model um for the automated payment system and, and sort of make that a requirement that hey if you're bidding for this job you have to submit to this, um, you know, smart contract tool, and we're going to give you orientation on it. This is how you how you're going to use it, um, and, and I can guarantee you that it's going to be more effective than the current system of going back and forth, sending emails, you know, making hundreds of phone calls, trying to chase down your money. When when all of these payments are automated, it takes a lot of the heat off your back. Go ahead, Luke. And yeah, what I could say is, um, we talked about Vim 360 Autodesk. Um, it's not a secret, or you know, maybe uh, it's a secret unveiling that you know we, we aim to partner with one of these um, you know automation automation sort of platforms that is already you know the basis for 90% of the construction builds in the United States. And what they would have is they would have all of the the terms sort of onboarded onto their infrastructure, and from that. You can make sort of a, I mean, and this might be hopeful and, and idealistic and naive, and I would not be the developer building this, but um, sort of a, a framework, you know, like a, a an adaptive framework that could um, meet uh, a single project, and then as the data was informed, you know, to the smart contract of, you know, it can sort of um, be editable and quickly adaptable to uh, a similar but, you know, technically different um project that you could even at every small stage. So it, it would be sort of a symbiosis with the um, data provider um, eventually and, and potentially and hopefully that would, would make that smart contract back end a big initial task and then maybe with each job uh, fine-tuning task for the payout of developer fees of potentially $2 million for, for a build like this, um, therefore, you know, sort of make, making a time well spent. Right, but even if you had uh, that system built out where it was just copy and paste, right? If you had like one of those skyscraper projects, wouldn't they almost need like a node or some underneath operator monitoring all of the contracts and all 
uh, because, I mean, like you said, it is more efficient than the email system and the current system. I'm not disagreeing there, but you would also have to teach all these people on the current legacy system how to interact and work with that system, right? So th if you didn't want to do that, you would kind of almost need a team of someone who understood the tech for someone to start building, like, skyscrapers under your new system. Definitely, and that's where we're seeking partnership currently is the blockchain component and, and who would be who would be building this with us. Um, and that's where we've, we've made, you know, we've made advancements with, with certain teams and in discussions and are awaiting other meetings with, with bigger players in, in the space to go through the details of, of what's feasible, what's necessary um, on, the, on the technical end and on the developer side. And I think the uh, hope is that, you know, you know, uh, one versus one A. Like one A would be we have a, a DAP interface front face where the, um, at least the inputs are simplified, right, and then codified on the back end. Or you know, most ideal would be as if with our data partner we um, had maybe edits to their system that that keep it all within a familiar format for the participants and um, or with a lot going on on the back end.
like an actual launch timeline for this for this project, or how long do you guys think it's going to take you to to actually build this out? So I can speak on where we're at currently in the process, um, and and you know what our you know kind of road roadmap looks like. Maybe Luke, you can you can allude to that. Um, you want to speak on that, Luke? Yeah, happy to. Um, so as I, as I pull up our, our roadmap on my end, well, I mean, you know, the stage that we're at is, again, seeking partnerships. We have communications working to meet with some large teams still. We have a, essentially a grant on the table if we were to uh, meet a couple check boxes, um, which we, you know, we have checked one of two. Um, so once we, once we secure our partnership, you know, that would, that would do a lot to dictate. Um, the timeline for, for building it out because that, that's where the expertise for, for building it out will come from is, is our is our um, partner you know in, in that and um, so that's you know this month is that we're, we're seeking these partnerships um, and then you know we're aiming for the partnership on the technical end before we approaching bin 360 or our autodesk um, for the for the data component which we perceive as you know as I was sure once we have the you know infrastructure to build it, um, beyond that, you know, we would essentially be paying for data. So um, I think that it would be a simple relationship to get that data provider on board. Um, now, in June, we have a couple mock-ups lined up, um, and, and Ryan could speak on this in terms of specific relationships, but a couple of bills that are willing to plug their bills into our model as sort of simulations that would allow us to you know, check for bugs and, and, you know, run a couple scenarios, um, fine-tune our, our product. Yeah, yeah. So, so, obviously, you know, this doesn't work if people don't want it. Um, and from my contacts in the construction industry, I have, you know, two general contractors who are, are extremely interested and want to implement this as soon as possible um, just, to, just to try it out, get a mock-up, pull the data, not necessarily, um, you know, implement the strategies, but hey, let's let's just pull all the data from your, you know, da data aggregator, and let's see how it plugs into our numbers. Um, they they kind of get first pick on, you know, insight into how this product can work in the future, and, and maybe even become the first person to to adapt this. Um, and you know, I think it's highlight to I think it's important to highlight again our, our target market is you know we're not we're not looking to, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, utilize the construction projects that are very small scale. You know, we're going after these large scale hospitals, high rise buildings. And so, you know, we've got it, we've got to chase them almost, but if you partner with a general contractor, you can, you can essentially, um, use our tool on all of their projects and all of their, you know, projects that fit into our target market. So, you know, if, if you if you have one or two general contractors that show an advancement in project um, efficiency and you know on time completion, once one or two adopt that, then it'll become you know widely adopted. So, you know, if we're looking at mockups in June, um, these massive projects take you know a fair amount of time to to complete. But if we can say, okay, let's look at you know month one, month two, month three. And as we as we progress through those mockups, and as we build, you know, the interface, we could almost launch it halfway through the project. Um, so, you know, a little bit 
further on the on the roadmap. Once we get those mockups, you know, underway, we can pull the data from the data aggregator. We have smart contract developers that can develop it. I think we're you know three to four months out from actually launching, you know, a potential test net on you know smart contract execution. That's awesome. And I get and for all the listeners that are that are currently tuning in. Um, how, how can they like get involved in the project? Where should they go to follow the project? Um, and if if you have like a white paper or if the roadmap is publicly available, is there a place that they can go to kind of follow follow your guys' journey? Yeah, we have roversolutions.io, um, and we're spinning up all of the, the public interfaces. Um, and I, I could say that within the week, we'll have a roadmap shared, um, the white papers in development, and um, you know, definitely updates through RoverSolutions.io. We have a Rover Solutions um, Twitter handle that I'll be managing, or Ryan and I will be managing um, to provide some updates. And in terms of like, participation, uh, I'm definitely envisioning a stablecoin risk pool now. Um, could be something to carry through a bear market. Not that we want to think about that, but um, just some sort of steady, stable, um, assured, and high APR. Uh, as it relates to, you know, other options out there. As we know, again, if we're going back to Bancor for a second, it's impossible to get stables onto Bancor. So um, it would be a nice pool option for, you know, uh, limited participants, and, and that pool would grow as we were, you know, uh, supporting more more jobs through our evolution, um, where it would be a similar model to the Chainlink staking, where it would be sort of a, a pool that would have, uh, a certain amount of liquidity that would be tapped to ensure um, various multiple projects that are happening at once, maybe simultaneously supporting multiple projects at once and compounding APR. So, um, you know, some hopeful high numbers in terms of um, stable yield, stable return um, as our primary focus. And depending on partners, um, we may be developing a token of our own. We may be implementing our system with a token of a partner. Um, and, you know, that, that would change the model, but um, obviously need to be assured and, and, and we'd, we'd um, be happy to announce when, when we secure a partnership. So I would say look uh, for the next, I mean, and, you know, nobody wants to overpromise, but we're, we're hopeful that in the next month or two, we're going to have some announcements regarding um, sort of collaborations and partnerships and mockups and test nets and all that stuff. No, this has been super awesome, guys. I mean, I'm really pumped that this is like a real business use case. Uh, there's actual need for the project. Uh, Ryan, Jiminy, Jiminy, just appreciate you guys taking the, the time to come on the base to space. Um, I'm kind of give you guys the floor, like if you want to say anything right now to the 50 listeners that are that are tuning in, just as like a closing thought, or if you had any last messages you wanted to get out to the community. Yeah, so obviously I love I love the format, I love the platform that you guys um, have have started here. I think it's so awesome to be able to come in and speak openly with the community and, and get their input. You know, I was hoping for for more input, more questions, but but hey, man, we can we can shoot the shit another time. Um, and you know, I just I love everything that you guys are doing. I think it's important to to bring everyone together. And hey. We may be from all different backgrounds of life, but we can come together on this one, you know, similar interest and, and expand upon it. So I, I think that's awesome. You guys have created the perfect format. So so cheers to you guys. 
We definitely appreciate that. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, I perfectly thank you for that. I echo, I echo those sentiments definitely. Um, what a, what a quick transition this has you know become. Where it's a couple weeks ago that I learned of uh, base base and Ryan have the following, and um, just to have the opportunity to speak with Banker directly was hugely valuable for me, um, just personally. And then now to be to be on speaking to, to others is um, pretty powerful for me. So I appreciate that. And um, you know, I would say as well that. Um, You've heard me all over the map with my ideas and concepts and thoughts and development. And um, Rover Solutions is a major pursuit of mine. Um, you could say I'm wage cooking at this point in time, and uh, you know, doing this as, as the passion and, and the side hustle. And um, you know, big belief that Rover Solutions is going to develop into my primary. But um, adding value, you know, aiming to add value to other projects. So if there's others out there that uh, want to discuss, uh, if I you know, provided any sort of value to the conversation today for, for any individuals that have questions or that things that they're thinking about and working on. I'm happy to collaborate and my DMs are open. I think, I, think. I don't get much of DMs, but hey, follow me and our, my DMs are open and we can, we can talk. Um, and I look forward to, you know, contributing to projects that are not my own. And I think that's where the, the banker concept would come in. Um, you know, I'd be happy to work with them in some sort of official capacity as well. But um, just kind of aiming to, to add value and um, see what sticks. So. Incredible. Jimmy, Ryan, really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on the base space. Thanks, everyone, for all the listeners for tuning in. Um, just a quick announcement, guys. Tomorrow we have Ultra XBT from Toshiman coming on the base space. We're already booking episodes, too, for next week. If you guys have suggestions on who you want to see on the show, Definitely myself, Super Hire, Chase No, even Connor. Let us all know. Uh, we're actively, actively outreaching for the rest of the month. So keep us looped in. We have a lot of exciting episodes in the work for next week. So look out for an announcement on Sunday about about the lineup. And uh, I will be dropping a thank you tweet to Jimmy and Ryan right after this, guys. So if you want to follow them, their projects, everything like that, don't worry. All the handles will be posted right on my page. Uh, so definitely drop these guys a follow. They're super dope. Working on an actual real use case project. I uh, appreciate them taking their time out and coming on the base space. Uh, until next time, guys. I'll see you guys later. Thanks. Have a good night, everyone. Cheers. Oh, see thanks. you, boys and girls.